I said, empty your mind. Be formless, shapeless, like water. It's about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. Join movement expert Aaron Alexander as he dives into the minds of the foremost innovative healthcare thinkers and movement masters on their approach to optimal health and wellness. Align Podcast. Welcome back to Line Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander. Today's beautiful episode, I got to have someone I've been excited to have on for a long time, Ms. Kino McGregor. Uh, Kino is a legend of sorts in the yoga community, specifically Ashtanga, but all the varieties of yoga, I'd say. Um, she is, she's got a master's degree in inter- interdisciplinary studies from New York University. She's been studying yoga forever, uh, been back and forth from India all sorts of times, studied with Patabi Joyce, one of the youngest folks to uh, be a certified instructor through the Ashtanga practice. Really interesting conversation. I hope you, you enjoy this thing. Uh, thanks so much for tuning in to the website, aligntherapy.com, A-L-I-G-N therapy.com on there. You can start the five-day movement challenge where you learn the fundamentals of how to integrate your optimal version of movement into everything that you're doing. Every moment can become an opportunity to move and think better if we have the right education to do so, and that thing breaks that down. Also, you get show notes for this and the rest of the episodes. Thank you guys so much for reviews on iTunes. If you leave a review, we will send you out a box of something delicious from Onnit, our friends at Onnit. We got a review from Truths. Uh, five stars, truths, the T-S at the end, truth, T-S. Align equals self. I had the pleasure of seeing Aaron's passion in action during the Solar Eclipse Festival in Oregon. Uh, thank you for this well-curated source of perspectives and knowledge. A highly suggested listen for anyone looking to better understand themselves and others. Get back at us. Ooh, phone ringing, that's embarrassing. Uh, get back at us at truths, and uh, we'll send you out some something from from on it um i think that's that's it we're ready to go i'm out here in boulder colorado just finished teaching a thing with flow genome project with jamie wheel uh recorded a conversation with stephen kotler uh got a lot of amazing podcasts done out here so i'm looking forward to releasing those guys to you i hope you enjoy this conversation here we go back to the show pow align podcast how do you say it you said how did you a say lychee it? but some people say lychee how did you say that? You said lychee, lychee. the first time? Lychee, yeah. All right. That's, that's the right way. No, lychee, lychee, tomato, tomato. <laughs> There's no right. <laughs> all right. I think we're recording. I think okay. it's, all, it's all happening. Okay. All right. Thank you so much for doing this yeah. as I awkwardly scramble around this <laughs> this disheveled basement. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How did this happen? <laughs> all right. I'm, I'm probably not going to sit on the couch because I'm too big. Okay, Can I what? sit down here? Yeah, I feel like I should join you on kiss, the floor kiss then. Kiss your feet like you're my guru? No, I'm going to get on the floor now. You had, you had some awkwardness around kissing the guru's feet, from my understanding. <laughs> yeah. I, I, was, I was doing my due diligence of stalking yeah. you before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, when I, well, you know, when I met my teacher, I was not, you know, I didn't have any background really in, in movement or yoga or discipline or spirituality or anything like that, really. I, um, I was studying um, to get my master's degree from NYU and oh yeah I want to turn the fan turn the fan off I think it's a good idea we don't need to keep secrets from people if anything weird ever happens during conversation I just state it yeah Yeah. (laughs) just keep talking pretend I'm here I'm gonna like walk out of the room (laughs) don't do that I just got up to turn the fan off yeah that's what happened yes yeah so, 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 you know, when I, when I first went to India, I had just, I'd been studying at NYU and I was getting my master's degree. And one of the, one of the components of my master's degree was feminist studies. Mm. So I had, a, I, you know, and it was always something that was very much on my mind about gender equality, um, you know, and, and, and just equality in general. And, re- and, 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 and I think a really big question when we look at questions of equality is how to address um, old systems of power. And this was something that was really on my mind when I was thinking about going to India because I'd heard from everyone that there was this old man who was in a position of power that you had to bow down and put your hands on his feet. And I was just like, I don't really think that I want to do that, you know? Mm. And I'd created this whole kind of scenario in my mind about how I wouldn't I wouldn't have to do that because I was a Western woman and I would tell him this and he would understand and all this 
this sort of stuff. But, you know, when I looked into his eyes, he was the first person that I met, the first person I saw in Mysore. And when I looked into his eyes, it was just something in my heart just leapt up and said yes. Mm. So my hands were on his feet. Cool. <laughs> yeah. You kissed the ring. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> More than that, I flattened myself in could, front of it. Could we switch positions, actually, to yeah. put you in front of that thing? Because it's going to be much more beautiful. Oh, sure. This isn't about me. You Absolutely. need whatever position is the most beautiful oh. position. Oh, you've, now you've, you got all these. Thank what you. What is this back here, these asanas? I, this I, is, I, 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 um. Is this Ashtanga stuff? No, I think that this. This is just all the asanas. I think it's Dharma Mitra. Okay. Is what I think it is. Uh, but it's, I think it's Dharma Mitra's yoga poster. So we don't. Correct. It's Dharma Mitra's yoga poster. On the Align podcast, we haven't really delved into like yoga specifically. Mm. And so I'm really excited to get into like like Ashtanga, for example. Like what mm-hmm. some of the differences between practices. Mm, for a lot of people, I think it's just like yoga. Right. Well, I think like, I guess the bigger question to start is what is yoga? Right. So it is, is, you know, most people have this image now of yoga. It's in our popular culture and people see it as stretching or bending the body or handstand or something like that. But I think we need to even address this question of what is yoga. Right. So even more than different disciplines, the one of one of the most so many different ways to define yoga. But if we look at yoga traditionally, yoga is a path to peace. And all of the poses are really foundations or platforms for us for students to dive into an inner experience and it's a path of deep peace a path that heals the body that uses the physical body as a to as a foundation for a spiritual experience Mm. but it's always what defines yoga and makes it different say from just exercise for pure exercise or health in the body is that yoga always has a spiritual intention as its heart or traditionally yoga has a spiritual intention at its heart i should say how does one bridge that gap? I find cannabis to be helpful. Right. Um, <laughs> my two cents. Yeah. Um, but to get to that point, because I feel like for me, I for a long time I viewed yoga as being something like it was good for jujitsu or it was good for like mas- right. stretching. Yoga for massage or yoga yeah. for runners, yoga for yeah. golfing, yoga for this, yoga for that. Yeah. But so there's this huge gap of like, okay, it'll get you these results to make you better in your, mm-hmm. you know, your sport life or whatever. And then getting into what yoga actually represents. Mm. Like, I feel like there's this mm-hmm. airy, vacuous space in between there. That's a very good point. You know? Yeah, I feel that so many people come to yoga for all sorts of different things. You know, some people come because they want to do that handstand. Some people come because they have back pain and their doctors recommended it. Some people come because they're looking for a date. You know, <laughs> and, mm. and people come to the practice for all different sorts of things. The The way that that gap is bridged between why you come initially to the practice and then what the magic of yoga really is, which is that that kind of essence of the spirit, which is inside each of us, the essence of the eternal, the essence of the divine um, is the practice itself, because what happens is that the practice opens up barriers to the heart, it opens up the mind, and then it exposes, you know, our vulnerabilities. Sooner or later, if you practice yoga long enough, there's something inside of your heart that starts to desire more than just material pleasure. It's almost like the quality of your thoughts changes as your heart opens and you just start to ask different types of questions. And then those questions are the questions of a true spiritual seeker. And then, you know, those who ask shall find. So when, you know, when you're on your knees in your heart, sort of in the temple of the heart, and you are asking for a way out and you're asking for the light, if you feel it in your heart, sooner or later, you're going to get an experience, a transcendental experience, an experience that will change the quality of your life forever and sometimes it'll be on the mat that that will happen and sometimes it'll be in your life but it's the yoga practice that sort of opened you up to it Hmm. what do you think about psychoactive stuff i'm not like i mean people (laughs) people know that i'm 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 kind of more on the pro end but um (laughs) what are your thoughts on that because it seems like it's 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 pretty common when you go to places that are Well, truth be told, I mean, I came to the yoga practice after a period where um, I pretty much pursued, I think, spiritual realization, I would say, as well as treatment for depression, as well as all sorts of things. I pretty much pursued that through the use of drugs. Mm. And, and um, I, I've, I've never really been into drinking or alcohol. It's never really been. So I've, from the time, first time I tried alcohol when I was a little girl, I just hated the taste of it. Cool. And until this day, I still don't like it. You dodged it, the bullet. It's, it's, I, just don't, I, don't, I also don't really enjoy the way it feels. And I don't, uh. I don't think the way it feels is really worth the hangover that you have to experience. Mm. So that's never really been an issue for 
for me. Um, I think that I smoked marijuana for the first time when I was like 11 years old or something. Me too. And you know, so I I don't I I I strongly believe that marijuana should be legalized in the United States um, as of yesterday, and probably around the world. But I also think that in in relation to that, is if we legalize marijuana in the United States, that I think that we should have clemency for every every person who's in prison on you know um, uh, marijuana charges yeah. because if we if we legalize it in the United States what about all the people that are in prison because they had a few joints in their pocket and they got pulled over because they were speeding or because they didn't their blinker was broken or something like this two years ago so I think I'm I'm in favor of that but I'm also very much in favor of clemency for people that are in in jail for those kind of you know small marijuana charges yeah it'd be great if our, our jail system was set up to be this is obviously a side tangent but if it was set up to be actually a, a rehabilitation center but that's also like a life rehabilitation mm -hmm. no so i don't know i'm, I'm by yeah. no means an expert in this world but it'd be great if they could be like making some money or, or or cultivating some type of skill trade they go out into the world like mm -hmm. the reason we do crime is because the mm -hmm. other system wasn't working for us yeah i mean there's I so many there's so many questions to to, to unpack if we start t taking a look at the you know the judicial system and 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 just the prejudice that's inherent in our systems of justice the institutions that we take for granted as being arbiters of truth and arbiters of you know innocence and guilt are in fact deeply entrenched power structures which Unfortunately, um, dis, you know, place disadvantaged voices and marginalized voices in compromised situations where you know dominant cultures end up in the same scenario, but with a drastically different result. How does one bridge the gap between the integrating the, the eight limbs of what is that? Eight limbs of, of dharma. Well, eight yoga? limbs of yoga. Yeah, eight limbs of yoga. How mm -hmm. does how does one start to? Because it's kind of like. It's like a religion in a sense. Mm, well, it is something that impacts every helps. moment of your life, right? Yeah. So there are moral and ethical precepts that really define the yogi's path. And no yogi is perfect because we're not saints, you know? But it's this idea that you try your best to hold yourself up to a higher standard. Um, and then you uh, you know, recognize that you will stumble and you will fall. But a, a good way to think about this is the beginning of the all of the moral and ethical precepts rests in the concept of what's called ahimsa. And ahimsa is nonviolence. But ahimsa could also be translated from the Sanskrit away from, from nonviolence into healing. Ahimsa, the opposite of himsa. What is the opposite of violence? You know, violence or hate. So if you say hate to me, what's the opposite of hate? What are you going to say? I would love. Right. So it's not nonviolence, it's love. So how does a yogi be an active force of love in the world? And what is love? So is love just peace, love, and happiness? Or is love an instrument of social justice? You know, how do you love someone who's being oppressed? How do you love someone who's being been alienated, downtrodden, rejected from society. How do you how do you do that? How do you love them? Do you speak up for them? Do you lift them up? Do you take a stand on you know on on, on issues which might not be popular? So I don't always think that ahimsa means to sit in the corner and just radiate good vibes or to say we should think positive thoughts only. For me, part of ahimsa in the journey of yoga is very much about taking a stand and translating the lessons that are learned on the yoga mat into lessons of what is truly social justice you know mm. if, our, if our hearts are open and and we can really look at the humanity or even the beingness of every sentient being and we can respect that seed and that spark of divinity in every being not just the ones who look like us and talk like us but every being then i think there's no other logical choice but to embrace a, a, a philosophy a methodology um, and really an ethos of social justice mm. Do you have any recommendations of uh, of reading for people to get into to get into? This is like mm. so I, I I mentioned I was I was tooting my horn about how I read the Bhagavad Gita, well the translation mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. it, and on the on the way here I did an audible of uh, the Dhamma Dhammapada. The Dhammapada, yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah, and yeah. so everything that you're saying in there, a lot of it's consistent with mm -hmm. what they're saying in mm -hmm. in those books. Is there any kind of like starting point to get into well, these ideas? Well, for yoga philosophy in general. Sure. Yeah. Well, the, the, yeah. I mean, <laughs> maybe life. Yeah. Well, yeah. life. I'm, well, you know, one book that I recommend every spiritual seeker to read is called A Path with Heart by Jack Cornfield. Yeah, I love him. And I just love that book. I feel like I feel like you have a friend for the spiritual journey, and it softens so many of the hard edges that we bring from our life into the spiritual practice. And I think it makes it. It just it's it's a really compassionate look on what it means to walk the path. Hmm. 
What do you think about the Bhagavad Gita versus the Dhammapada and all those? Those Have you gotten into those? I Has think that the all knowledge comes from God and as you connect with it read it and integrate it and let it be a part of you know what makes you a better person one of the things that was was in in the Bhagavad Gita yeah was the the power of renunciation mm, and so mm-hmm. renunciation mm-hmm. what they're referring to in there I, I think um through the translation I haven't actually I'm sure it'd be quite complicated to read like the proper thing right um but was renunciation of attachment to outcomes mm-hmm. of, of the crap that you're doing. Yeah. You know, so it's like, okay, I'm doing this because I get money. I'm doing this, but getting beyond that and say, I'm doing this because it's for the greater good of humanity. Yeah. It's, in, it's all interesting. The creatures. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the interesting thing with the renunciation, renunciation as it's presented in traditional yoga philosophy, as well as it's presented in the Gita is this, is this non-attachment to the outcome is the necessary component of that is faith. Mm. And this is something that many people say, oh, well, I'm not attached to how that works out. Um, but, you know, in the Gita, it's really interesting because if we look at Arjuna, the warrior prince, so here he is. He's this warrior prince. He's kind of got it set. But, you know, he gets this view of the great battle of the Gita and then his heart opens and he sees the great cost of the battle. He sees that he'll kill his, he'll kill his uncle and his childhood friends and worst of all, his archery teacher. And then that's what cracks his heart open. And he says, you know what? I'm, I don't want to fight. Like, the, it's too much. The suffering is too great. And then that's when Krishna comes in and says, you know, arise, young Arjuna, and face your destiny. And I'll show you how. This is your job. You are an archer. Take your aim and care about your aim. Do that with all your heart and all your soul. Aim. And in the moment you release the arrow, turn it over to me. And it will be my will that's done. I will carry the the arrow to its goal. You're not the decider. You don't get to decide if the battle is victorious or not. I do. So this non-attachment that he's talking about, this renunciation is also surrender to God. You know, turn it over to a power that's greater and grander than you are recognizing humbly that you're not the decider. Mm. You might be an actor. You might have a part to play. But the, the grand vision is bigger and grander than you could ever imagine. And if you see that, then... You can be, you can live in a surrendered state where life happens through you, you know, not to you. Yeah. I like the metaphor of the arrow, the archer and the bow. Yeah. Pointing and Mm -hmm. finding the destination. What is, what challenges you with faith? Is there any stuff that stands out that's daily challenges, weekly challenges, something that's. Well, I think for me, you know, I wasn't raised with any religion, you know, so religion was not something that was a part of my daily life. My grandfather is Japanese and was Buddhist and mm-hmm. both my parents were not really, they were, you know, I think you would, they would probably call them, you know, just, um, you know, non-religious and we never went to church or anything like that. So I was raised with none of that. And I asked my parents, you know, like, what religion are we, you know, and my mom would say, well, we're raising you with no religion and no thoughts about that. So when you get old enough, you can make that decision decision for yourself and um you know so it always confused me in you know in high school and you fill out these you know self-intake forms or whatnot like religion and I was like I am um, it's convenient to have a, a, a title uh, a pla- yeah a seriously <laughs> I, I was like I, I always clicked other because I'm like do I click Buddhist because my grandfather's Buddhist do I click Christian because we live in a Christian country or do I so I started to click other you know yeah. and then also I mean ethnicity for me was always a question too because you know my grandfather's Japanese and he was very much a part of my childhood and yet I'm on, you know I'm only a, a portion Japanese, but I was raised with with um, strongly identifying with being part Japanese and being a Japanese American, and at the same time, like that's not an option to click in like ethnicity. It's sort of like Hispanic, African American, Caucasian, Pacific Islander, and I was like. Uh, I don't, you know, other again. So I feel like I grew up with this other identity, you know, that I was like, well, I don't, I never, I didn't, I never, I never fit into a box. Yeah. Yeah. What about the depression stuff? You said it was like since you were like nine or something. Yeah. Well, so, you know, um, I have struggled through periods of depression that went largely undiagnosed for the majority of my life. And um, when I... When, when I was, oh gosh, I don't know, maybe like a little less than 10 years ago, I went through a really, really dark period where I kind of had that moment, not to compare myself to Arjuna, but the story of the Gita is also that we are each our own Arjuna. So we are each Arjuna on the battlefield of our own life. And that's yeah. why we draw inspiration from that story. But I just, I woke up every day and I looked around and I, I didn't see happiness. I just saw suffering. 
So I would, I just saw suffering and I saw pain and I saw the cost of every decision that I'd made and that, and it was, it started to be overwhelming. Like I was like, I just don't really see how anything is going to work out. And so I woke up almost, for almost every day for two years with suicidal ideation. Whoa. And then I was actually going to see a therapist. I Me and my husband and I were going to see our, our therapist and she suggested that I come on my own. And so I came on my own and I had no idea what she was going to say, but she said to me, you know, like now, now looking at your case history, I can see, you know, that from the time you were nine years old, you've been suffering through periods of cyclical depression and now you're in another one and it's really bad. Mm -hmm. And she actually said that, I, that she considered me a threat to myself and that I should either, you know, go on, you know, like psychopharmaceutical drugs or potentially, uh, you know, be admitted someplace for treatment. Um, and I respectfully declined both of those offers and I found a different therapist that helped me um, with a different type of therapy technique. And, and then I looked back and I could see it. You know, I could see I've been through these periods of depression. Um, you know, when, when before I started the sincere practice of Ashtanga yoga from the time I was 19 until I was 22, maybe even before 19, like, you know, just, just, just over 18, I started, you know, using drugs extensively. And I think part of the reason that I was using drugs was like self-medication for depression. Which kind of drugs? Well, first I started, I mean, ecstasy. So like a good deal of ecstasy. Um, and then, you know, everything else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and I can look back and I can see, I can see that, you know, from when I was nine, there was a period and then there was another period and then there was another period. And then, and then through that, Three things really helped me and helped me continue continually to work with depression. I don't, I mean, I, 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 I've lately gone through a period where it sort of came back. My father passed away and I've been through some, some, di some different personal struggles lately. And I've had to really deploy the tools that I've learned in the past to help me, um, you know, find presence and find peace again. Mm -hmm. So first, the, the therapy that I, that I found really, really um, uh, helpful is called DBT, Dialectical Behavioral Therapy or Cognitive Behavioral, DBT or CBT. Yeah. And I found that really, really useful. Um, uh, faith in God is extremely important for me. The idea that it's not all on my shoulders, that I can't, you know, mess it up no matter how hard I try, that there is, there is grace, there is goodness in the world. There is a, there, there is a benevolence in the universe um, and that there is a sense of oneness, a sense of love that is pervading that, um, you know, that's, that, that's been a, a, a really important rock, a, a place to sort of rest my mind. Um, and then daily meditation. So I, I meditate every day. I don't do asana practice every day, but I meditate every day. I do six days a week asana practice. I, I feel the, my body and also my tradition asks for one day of rest, but yeah. I meditate every day. That's good. Yeah, my shoulders get sore. If you practice seven days a week? Yeah, I'm like, this doesn't feel good for me anymore. Yeah, one day a week, <laughs> rest, body rehabilitates. Are there any, like, tips or tactics, go-tos from the CBT, CBT? Practices. Well, the basic idea. I mean, there's so many. There are so many little tools, but the basic idea is sort of. Um, first of all, you're responsible for your own emotional well-being, mm. and and there's no one else that's responsible for your own emotional well-being except you. So the responsibility for that rests on your shoulders, and that was a big one for me because I guess I I felt that I was always victim to circumstance, or I was waiting for someone to say the right thing before I felt better, and to really realize like there's no right thing. They'll never say the right thing. It's me that needs to make myself feel better you know within yeah. myself so to, for me to claim some responsibility for my own well-being my emotional well-being and to actually take responsibility for that and then to take action based on that was really life-changing and then the second thing is that in the midst of a trigger is not the time to solve a solution like solve anything so if i'm triggered if i'm if i'm in a depressive state if i'm having an anxiety attack a panic attack if i'm in you know any sort of any sort of triggered heightened state of arousal that's not the time to try to push through and to solve anything if something crosses the line for me and i'm feeling myself get triggered i need to remove myself from that situation or deploy some of the very simple techniques and there's some really simple techniques like if you're in the here's one here's one example that that actually does help me if i'm feeling like i'm about to have a panic attack um like an ice pack mm. you know to actually take an ice pack and put it on my face hmm. you know or mammalian or, dive reflex you yeah. heard that before yeah no i haven't oh it's supposed to make your body work better oh yeah oh no <laughs> or even take like your hand and down. put in ice water or something like that and the idea yeah. is not so much calm as it is to break the cycle right. so it's like to do something that's so like dramatic so that you're like caught in this like you know state of of anxiety whereas like 
you know, if then the ice is so cold and it works, that works really well for me. I don't like cold. Mm. And, and I noticed that heating sensations usually rise when I'm feeling anxious by having a panic attack. So I'm usually very heated. So the ice is like, breaks that right away but it's also you know it could also be sucking on a lemon you know they're, they're all they're all sorts of really pragmatic practical right. things that can help you that can help you intercede for yourself and do self-care in the midst of um what could have otherwise been an overwhelming scenario yeah. it seems like the the, the value in a, a pattern reset is highly undervalued in our culture yeah i don't think he, we even have any mm. idea what that is mm-hmm. it's like porn <laughs> Yeah. Or like cigarettes. Yeah. Which are not. <laughs> like that, that, that just increases that just increases <laughs> adrenaline and arousal. Do you know what I mean? Right. That's only more of the same, right? right? And so and so we and we're all in a trance. So what you're talking about that we lack in our society is an is is a way into presence or a way out of the trance. And so there's right. so many ways we go into trance. Like whether we're, you know, we you're you're in any sort of addictive, um, neurotic, compulsive state where you're smoking one cigarette after another, or you're love addicted, where you're in one relationship to another, you're constant need of a approval people do this get that like dopamine hit from checking social media how many likes do i have on this post oh look i got a lot of comments and we get a little dopamine hit in our brain we treat it like an addiction or some people do that with pornography where then they get like they just want to watch more and more of it and then that defines you know that's kind of like that in their mind all the time some people do it with power or work they get up and they're right in the game they're in their emails right you know they jump out of bed at five in the morning and then you know their phone's been buzzing all night and they just jump into it and it's like we're all in this trance and oh. we're using all these things, these, 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 you know, experiences to get ourselves I- away from presence. How do you navigate having a bajillion followers on the social media? <laughs> well, is there, is there a wig you out? You yeah. Like a, like I, f- I mean, I feel, complex? no, I mean, I, f- I feel very <laughs> grateful is what I feel. Good. I feel a sense of gratitude because I feel like these are real people that have followed me. And then sometimes they come to, sometimes people come to class and I just feel like this is a real person that, ha- you know, ha- has a potential to heal their lives and bring more love and more light into the world. So I just feel really, really grateful. I feel really, really blessed. And at the same time, I try not to take it personally. You know, yeah. positive or negative. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really slippery territory. Yeah. 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 You know, because you, it, it, the thing is, is if you're dependent on all the positive, you'll mm. be destroyed by the negative. Yeah, that's the Gita stuff. That's the renunciation thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's like the the path to yeah. to ending suffering is just getting over that little that little snag. Yeah, just a little snag. Just a little snag. Are there any other pattern resets that you that you do? Well, the Vipassana, the course that you're going to do, Holy is amazing. Shit. I'm kind of pooping my pants about it. <laughs> it's going to be amazing. <laughs> you're going to hate it for three days, or you might right. not. You, you might, right. you know, you might. Most, it depends on the state of mind that you're in. Like I found the first one. I've done three, and oh. I'm planning to do another one this fall. Oh, cool. Um, and uh, I really, really recommend it. I think they're per- perhaps they're you know. what it felt like for me was like each day of the Vipassana was like worth one year of life learning. Wow. And, um, you know, I came out of the first one and I felt like I I felt like I'd been like a, you know, like, like system reset. Mm. And, and it was amazing. It was like, I saw the world in you and I was a different person. Yeah. Yeah. I I was literally a different person and it was amazing. Um, the first one I did, it was just so amazing. So I just, I, you know, I'd been in India for six months doing yoga. And so I went to Nepal and I was going to spend time in Nepal and I joined this Vipassana and it was just this very flowing sort of blissful experience. The second one I did, I, you know, was in a relationship and I had a lot of attachments in the material world and creature comforts and, and this sort of thing. And so I went to the second vipassana and i just had three days of kind of suffering Mm. you know where i was like oh my bed my life the food my partner why did i do this and then the fourth day onward was just wonderful that's funny that three-day thing the same thing happens with fasting maybe yeah isn't that funny (laughs) yeah i mean maybe it's not funny but it's just interesting how it's like it's like how you do anything is how you do everything. I think at a cellular level, our body kind of functions in a similar way that our psychology functions, mm-hmm. in a similar way that society functions. That makes sense, yeah. You know, so there's something that three-day mark. There's probably mm-hmm. some like some spiritual texts that talk <laughs> about that somewhere. Maybe. I don't know where they're at. I need to read more, read more, more Gita stuff. Was there any? What would you recommend? 
preparing for something like a 10-day silent. And, and can you explain what the hell a Vipassana is? <laughs> so the Vipassana <laughs> retreat is a 10-day silent meditation retreat where they walk you through the basics of how to meditate, how to calm the mind, and then they teach you what's called insight meditation, which mm. is best really learned in the context of the course. And you agree to live off of the dana of others. So there, it's not a set payment. And they only accept payment um, or donations, rather, at the end of the course if you feel you benefited. Mm. And then there are set times for you to eat, for you to sleep, and for you to meditate. And you take a vow of silence um, so that during the time that you're there, the only communication you have is with the, the lead teachers. Uh, so if you have a question about the technique, you do get to ask the teachers, but there's no there's noble silence, so there's no communication. It's not only silence, because you can also communicate right without speaking. Mm. So the noble silence is no communication between your fellow meditators. And the reason for that um, is that once you start talking, we play this comparison game. Oh, what you experienced today? Oh, I experienced this. Oh, really? I didn't experience that. Am I doing something wrong? Oh, and we right. get you know all these human jealousies come up. So you want to have the experience of going on the solitary journey of the inner the inner path. And that's what the silence does. It allows you to turn your entire attention inward. So it's really just you. Yeah. And it's so profound and so powerful. In the in the Dhammapada, my audio book, there was yeah. talking about one of the analogies it mentioned was was we, we live inside of a, an eggshell. Mm-hmm. And so our whole world is inside of this little shell. And that's mm-hmm. like social media and paying your rent and like all the things that you find mm-hmm. valuable. But we're just looking through this little little tube. You know, and then it's interesting that you can go through your whole entire life never actually uncovering that layer beneath that superficial. Yeah. You know, it's like that's an option. Yeah. <laughs> it's unfortunately an option. It's true. Yeah. You know, um, there's this idea that it's suffering that brings you into the spiritual path. This is the beginning of the Gita as well, right? So Arjuna, the warrior prince, he's not interested in the spiritual path until he sees suffering the cost of his actions. So it's suffering that brings you into the path. It's something where you get a distaste for the material world, where you realize permanent happiness can never be found in anything outside of myself. There's no amount of objects. There's no amount of money in my bank account. There's no amount of of, of perfection I can seek in my body that will ever make me whole, complete, worthy, and good. You know, in our culture, we have a lot of body worship. You know, we place so much emphasis yeah. on my body, my body, and even in the yoga world, you know, so we get caught in the pose and worshiping the physical body and, you know, this perfect abs and this perfect shape and this perfect size when it's like, hey, that's actually just another temptation. That's a distraction along the path. It's not that we shouldn't care for our bodies. The body's not the goal. It's not the end. You know, there's something else that's in there that we're really after. And then I think there's value in maybe riding that train into the ground as well. Yeah. Until yeah. you finally get to the end, you're just like, oh, no, my abs aren't, you know, making me happy. Like, mm-hmm. I think it's yeah, it's, it's hard wanna, to hear that. Yeah, if you want to go get that perfect body, go go get that perfect body. Yeah. And then see if you're happier. It, it's like the same thing. You know, some, some people will have to experience it all for themselves. You know, if you think a million dollars is going to make you happy, go get your million dollars. You know, and then ask yourself the question, am I happy? If you think the mansion is going to make you happy, go get the mansion and sit in the middle of it and ask yourself, am I happy? In the same way, if you think that selling all your possessions and climbing the highest mountain in the world where you're totally alone, you know, giving away all your possessions and joining an ashram, becoming a monk, if that's if you think that's what's going to make you happy, do it. And then ask yourself when you're there, am I happy? Mm. You know? I was thinking about this last night in the shower. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> about um, how folks that end up getting paralyzed, they're, you know, like like uh, whoever the Superman was. He fell off a horse. What is his name? You know what I'm talking about? Anyways. I so know who you're talking about, yeah. but I'm quite terrible <laughs> Me too. with celebrity names. Oh, I'm the worst. Yeah. Yeah, it's not good. I don't, re- I also wouldn't recognize. <laughs> yeah. So I don't do that quite well. All right. Well, I'll, yeah, well, perfect. We're, we're, Superman. we're a fantastic, right. we're a fantastic <laughs> team. Um, but we're culturally we're so impressed and enamored with people it's like that ended up managing to managing to get their their legs to function again you mm-hmm. know to create that that connection yeah. again and i think we we never are really taught the power that we have if we do concentrate our energy into one direction mm-hmm. but it takes all that suffering and all that just like ah oh, like make my body move like everything mm. into that and then all of a sudden you you can compress your energy i don't know what the hell i'm talking about right now but it <laughs> kind of seems like you compress your energy into a point 
and really make almost anything, including getting your legs back, maybe. Yeah. But we can apply that to other different levels as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's immense. It's immense mental focus. You know, before my father passed away, he suffered from quite devastating and debilitating strokes. And after the first stroke that he had, he managed to recover a good deal of mobility and cognizance. Um, But the amount of effort that it took just to have him regain mobility in the fingers, it was so intense, you know? Mm. And then after the second stroke, it was so debilitating so that even, you know, he wasn't really able to make much progress at all. And any progress, even the smallest amount of progress, was with so much effort. Yeah. And I think that perhaps in that in that instance or you know any any instance if you take away one sense all of a sudden the other senses become more powerful you know so maybe maybe in 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 said instance it's not about making the body work again but now that the body doesn't work perhaps that opens up more bandwidth to go deeper into whatever said path yeah I don't know, i'm just well, spitballing. i mean it could be i think that well if i think i don't know about other stroke victims but um you know definitely Definitely the bandwidth that my father had was, I believe, very much preparing him to cross over. Right. You know, I think I spent the good part of three years praying for a miracle every day and hoping that he'd get better. And I, every sign that, that I got in a dream or a vision or something like that, I just took it as kind of evidence that he would get better. When if I look back, I can see that it was actually, you know, it was, it was actually, um, you know, a sort of premonition that he was going to cross over. And so I mean I think that I think that that's also a journey. You know, death is also a journey. It's a crossing over and it's perhaps a return home. And you know, we place we're a very death um aversion, aversion culture. Yeah. So you know, there's wisdom in those who are approaching the end. And I definitely experienced that around my father. Um you know, and it was a it was a very special time to be with him then, and also very sad. Hmm. What did you gather from anything? Well, I think the first thing um, is that truly our time is limited on here on Earth. It's so limited, and I I feel that it that the time we have is extremely precious and extremely valuable. And it just seeing seeing and coming to terms with my father's passing, and the the the, the you know the, the the period of time from which he was suffering, you know, from strokes and from congestive heart failure and diabetes and pneumonia and cancer and just everything that ultimately took his life, really made me see the preciousness of life, yeah. and also how irrelevant so much of what we spend our time on is, you know, uh, all of the petty disagreements between people that are important to you, people that you love. I feel if you see it in the perspective of life or death, you know, so now I just feel like whenever I say goodbye to someone that I love, I want to make sure that, that in case it's the last time that they know that I love them. And I, I feel inspired to just take the dramatically bigger picture look at things and realize none of that matters. None mm. of that little stuff matters, you mm. know, whether or not this worked out or that worked out. It's the quality of love in each interaction that matters. And if I'm not in a if I'm I have so much time here left, what do I want that time to be about? That's what I feel. I feel this kind of urgency about each moment that I spend here on earth remaining, that I want it to be about something. I don't just want to waste it on, you know, answering comments on, uh, or right. answering emails. I want it to stand for something. I want it to mean something um, in, in, in big ways and in, and in small ways as well. Mm. Is there any, do you do you like visualization of what you want to be doing be in five years, two years, ten years, doing stuff like that. Uh, a little bit. I mean, <laughs> I, I I used to do a lot more of that. I feel I feel right now. Right now, what I feel is possible is that 
that there that there's a place that I don't know where I'm going. Right. And 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 rather than trying to figure out, you know, where it is and what I'll do, I feel more available to let to you know, to let things happen through me. Whereas in the past I think I used to think about, you know, um uh markers of achievement as it measured in materiality. Yeah. Whereas as I'm looking forward in the future, I'm not as interested in the particular form the material takes place when I'm more interested in the quality of the spirit as it's manifesting through me. So if I look forward into my life, what I feel like I start to see is the possibility of, of, of the, of the, of the dramatic power of, of, of spirit, the dramatic power of love. Um, and, 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 and those really kind of, uh, coalescing to, do what they want to do in my life so that there's more there's more love there's more peace there's more uh, light in in everything how do you define spirit gosh that's a good question um well we can take spirit traditionally in yoga as purusha the spark of the divine the spirit the spirit of god the holy spirit you know um and and i think if you've never had a, an experience of the spirit i mean the only way to really think about that is like that moment when you first fall in love, but not attached to any person, transcendent and pure and warm and vibrant and alive and sort of pulsating with every, every cell of your being on the physical, but way beyond. And so in the presence of the spirit it sort of overwhelms you or you tune into that sort of divine spark, which is the essence of who you are and who I am and who we all are. It's just, it just changes everything. Hmm. Like it's the magic that takes over. Have you ever noticed when you're more in alignment with that deeper mm. spirit part or whatever semantics, whatever mm -hmm. language, mm -hmm. you know, if you're, you're, you're following your passion or you're following your bliss, if you're Joseph Campbell talk or mm. all of a sudden it, it feels as though things start to happen for you as opposed to to you would be like uh, a uh, way to say it. I mean, uh, even, even more than that, I think, um, I, I, I think that there's, you know, the lowest kind of vibration that I experience is when I feel like I'm a victim to life and when I feel like yeah. things happen to me and there's a perpetrator and someone I've got to, you know, that's doing me wrong and I've got to fight against them. That's this whole, that's definitely one level. And I, I definitely experience that sometimes, but then, and then there are times when I feel like things are happening through me, you know, um, not even for me, but through me, like, and what's amazing about that is I feel like then there is no more I. Because then it's not me. It's not like this was being done for me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's a better way of saying it. So it's somehow beyond the eye. And there's definitely something where I feel like this happened for me. A door was open. The situation was, th you know, like yeah. the, the, what, 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 that, that I benefited from. And so it I almost feel like feels like there could be like tears of that. Though. Yeah. And to that, me, and for me, through me, perhaps. Totally. And then, you know, and then in those moments, you know, uh, ha have just been unbelievable. I'd like to live in that space where life is happening entirely through me and there is no more I mm. and there is only, you know, the clean, pure vessel. Mm. How do you do that? <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you know when I figure it out. Right. But I think it has something to do with total and complete surrender to God. Okay. Cool. With God, you grew up not having any answers around that. Right. When did you start to formulate some type of do you have a definition of God? Yeah. Um, well, you know, for me, I always uh, was confused about that from my from my upbringing, and then I would have these experiences through my yoga practice of sort of a divine, eternal presence, and I would use all these words like the love of the universe, the shimmering oneness of source energy, Ooh. source energy, you know, home, our spiritual home, the great oneness. I mean, I, I came up with so many different names. My yoga teacher in India would always say, do your practice, think about God, mm. you know, and um, and then he would say, any God you like, you know, like, or your God. So it was, he was not trying to convert people away from their own faith, you know, yeah. and mm, traditionally um, it's said in India, um, and also my teachers there say that there is truly one God, but that it is our understanding of God is bound by our culture so that we have our own 
cultural interpretations of this. And and what's interesting is for for me, I uh, you know I, it took a long time before I made peace with the usage of the word God. But it was really through the practice that I would experience these moments of eternality, these moments of love, these moments of deep peace, these moments of oneness. And I finally realized this is the presence of God. Mm. Um, and then, and then on a totally um, other level, I lived. I sort of lived with that awareness for some time, and I would pop into this level of awareness, and I'd pop out of that level of awareness. You know, I'd be sort of like, oh, and then there is this presence of God, and then I'd go back into feeling like a victim or something like that. And then, um, you know, I, 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 I always. Um, you know, after my guru passed away, I always kind of wanted another guru. But, you know, God is the ultimate guru. Yeah. I always I always really wanted something like that. And then I had this experience for me where um, I was on an airplane. I travel and teach, um, you know, quite often in different cities around the world. And I was on the way to teach a workshop. And I was on the airplane and I had this open vision where, you know, I was just sitting on the airplane. I was about to, um, you know watch a movie on the airplane because I feel like that's when I'm, that's a good time to, <laughs> you know, there's no possibility of doing anything else and the yeah. seats are uncomfortable. So sometimes it's cool to watch a movie or something. I was about to do that. And then I had this open vision where the world turned white. Everything was totally white. And then there are these clouds that opened and suddenly I saw these clouds appear and then the clouds parted and then this like brilliant sort of light appeared and, you know, out of the light, standing before me was Jesus Christ. Mm. And I was like, my first reaction was like, you've got to be kidding me. You know, I am not one of these people. Right. You know what I mean? I was like, that was my first reaction. You know, I thought. <laughs> it's like finding out you're gay. Yeah. yeah I, you're like, it's like, it's great. I'm glad you're gay. Like, I'm totally in support. Yeah. But if you're like 13 and you realize that, you're like, oh, man, this yeah. is going to be a lot harder. Yeah. Maybe, you know, I was. Yeah. But I just had this reaction. Maybe that's a terrible analogy. No. It. Well, it's because it's you're your nature, you know. So but, but so then I, that was my first reaction. And then my second reaction, very much like when I met my teacher. So I had all these thoughts. My heart just leapt up and said yes. I think something in me recognized the true guru in him. And then he put his hands on my head and I, would, I went onto my knees in the same way that I met my yoga teacher. And then I felt this wave of peace and love and, you know, um, presence wash over me. And I just stayed kind of immersed in that space for a long time. Mm. You know, and then at some moment he took his hands off and left and then I'd open my eyes and I was like, you know, my eyes had were rolled in the back of my head. I'm sure people that I was just napping and the airplane had been flying for like an hour or more, you know, that's really cool. So I kind of feel like I still don't know what box to check with religion. I want to check other and then write Jesus Christ as my guru, Oh, good. but I'm not really sure how that's going to go down well, in the census report. I wanted to take a quick moment to thank Thrive Market for supporting this podcast. Thrive Market is an online grocery service that you guys absolutely need to check out. Um, first of all, it's way more cost efficient than shopping in a grocery store. They cut out the middleman, uh, so you can get up to 50% off on most things that you'd find in the grocery store. Secondly, maybe firstly, both equally important. Um, they really, truly give a dang about the products that they have on there. So everything is highly curated, no GMO stuff. You don't need to read the labels because they've already done that for you. I personally know the owner of this, and um, he truly, truly cares about the quality of the products. And I uh, highly recommend you guys checking them out. So you can go to uh, thrivemarket.com slash align. Thrivemarket.com slash align. On there, you'll get 25% off your purchase and a free month's membership to Thrive Mother Flippin' Market. Uh, highly recommend these guys. They also, some fun facts, they use zero waste. So they are, all the all the uh, containers and everything that you're getting, they're all from recycled products. Um, up to 50% off of the purchases, as I would mentioned. And uh, really great stuff. Door-to-door -door service. Does that make sense? Door-to-door? -door? Uh, Website-to-door service. Anyway, strivemarket.com slash align. 25% off, free month membership. Boom, enjoy. So I grew up like super Christian and I was, mm. I went to, to church and I was like raising my hands up in the air and, you know, doing the whole thing, like trying to yeah. get the, the, the Holy Spirit inside of me. Uh-huh. Did like, you ever feel it? No. No. <laughs> I mean, I thought I did. We would do like Bible studies. We'd all like hang out and, you know, read the Bible and everything. What I realized with that though, is there's at least what I've gathered upon traveling and reading different books and such is that it's all consistent. It's kind of like 
you know, it's different mediums or different paths up to the mm. same top of the mountain. Mm-hmm. You know, and so when you talk about Arjuna, it's hard for me to not hear Jesus. Absolutely. And, and that Buddha or myself, well. my own mm-hmm. imagination, my own ego, my own. Yeah. Have you heard of the, 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 uh, the relationship of the, that the Bible, Christianity, the r- that religion is a metaphor for a psychedelic experience? It's okay if you haven't. No, <laughs> I don't think I've heard it. I've heard that. You, you, you know, I, w- I have a totally different uh, background. Like, I'd never read the Bible, hmm. you know, and then I saw Jesus standing there, you know. And I, it's interesting because I talked to so many people and that, that, like, were raised Christian or people that are Christian. They're like, I've never seen Jesus. And I was like, I didn't want to see him. Yeah. You know, I was like, I wasn't asking for it. Like, I was literally, I was there like, why aren't you the Buddha? Like, why aren't you Ganesh or Lakshmi right. or something? Like, what are you doing here? And, and you know, he showed up. And um, and then I, 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 so I sat there on the plane kind of like trying to make terms with it and be like, what is it? And I didn't know any about, I didn't know anything about like Holy Spirit and all this kind of stuff. I didn't know anything about that, you know? Yeah. Um, but that, you know, I, I can only say that that experience was like the Holy Spirit, you know, washed over me and mm. and you know in the yoga tradition we also have diksha where the guru or shaktipat where the guru um like touches you and gives you like the 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 you know the experience which is which is part of the transmission of the guru student relationship so i felt some sort of transmission there and i got off the airplane i was re- kind of like i don't know what's going on you know what i mean i had to <laughs> really sit and think about it but the first thought that i had was which sounds really naive but i was like he was really nice i'm gonna read his book <laughs> did you read it so i read the new testament a couple of times because i was like he seemed really nice like let me read his book and see like you know what he has to say yeah. and i was shocked at how much love there is in the teaching oh, of jesus yeah. christ it's legit yeah and then it's i and, that, and then there's a part of me that actually got mad because i felt like who is all the who are all these people out in the world that claim that they're you know holding the teaching of jesus christ and they don't live by his words yeah. did they forget to read the new testament right. you know, i feel like did you not read this you know i i, I actually got mad you know uh, and and sort of angry on 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 behalf of this this being that i'd met and felt <laughs> like they didn't know you they took your they they're saying they're saying they come in your name and look what they do that's not you yeah your love yeah your true love yeah uh, and it made me kind of angry, and, did, and then I didn't want to read the Old Testament because I felt like, oh, do I really need that? You know? And so I've started reading the Old Testament, um, and it's it's long. I mean, it's that thing is it's long. It's like the Beatles. New Beatles oh. is better than old Beatles. Oh, you know, it, it, I think <laughs> as someone who didn't study Christianity, reading the Old Testament makes makes the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross make sense. Because if you don't, if you don't have the context of that, that that the world was um, uh, governed by sacrifice, you know, you make a sin and then there's an atonement offering, and that wasn't just true in the Jewish culture. That was true in the you know cultures around the world at that time, where it was a blood sacrifice that was meant to cleanse and purify, and you had to kind of pay for your sins in this way, or pay for your transgressions, or you know uh, other actions in this way, right? And so. I, 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 for the longest time, I understand, like, why did he have to die? Mm. I don't understand. Like, well, he's not actually dying. It's a metaphor for the death of the ego, I think. It could be that also, right? So we must <laughs> die. If we believe in Jesus, right? If we believe in that, we have to kill our egos too. Mm. And then you come back. As a different person, you're reborn. Or you, you understand how to manage the ego and have it work for you as opposed to you just be consumed by it. Mm. I think. I mean, that would be the same thing as having conquered it and been reborn. Yeah, that's a good point. Mm-hmm. Conquered. He goes into hell and fights Satan. Yeah, f- yeah. Right? Fights, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's not really... Language like is funny. Language yeah. ruins everything. Yeah, we don't really... <laughs> there's not a lot of talk about what happened down there. You know what I mean? We just know he was gone and he came back. I like... And, and we can wrap this thing up soon, by the way. Yeah. I don't know what but, but, but one thing about that, right, <laughs> is that there, there are so many... There are so many um, saints and saviors kind of in the history of our, of our world, right? And so we have... Um, like, we have the Buddha... And we have, um, you know, m- many Tibetan, Tibetan Rinpoches that are clearly in a state of high spiritual realization. We have so many saints and and even, even you know, holy people from the Judeo-Christian past. We we have we just have so many saints, you know. Yeah. Um, but out of them all, right? If we if we think about you know Jesus as a historical figure, he's the only one that shed his blood for us. Mm. If we think about it, even like that. Yeah. What I don't love about um, 
what has happened to that version of religion, Christianity, mm -hmm. is that it has created division between people. Right. And that's the bummer of it. If you yeah, get what in, do you like mean, you're what do you saying. Mean? Yeah, yeah. What do you mean by division? You mean like well, if you do this, you go to hell? Yeah, well, that. Yeah. And also yeah. like our team's better than your team. Which team? What do you mean by that? Our team, we're going to heaven. You know, yeah. we have all, you know, whatever. There's only space. There's only 30,000 seats or whatever it is, you know, or some 50,000. I don't know what it is. There's in oh, somewhere right. in yeah, the book, it oh, says like there's a number yeah. of seats. And I'm like, what are you talking yeah. about? And so that, but then if you actually read, you know, the book, which I haven't read all of it, but I, you know, I'm going, going through, um, most of it's legit. Like, it's like, wow, I could really base my life off of this. Yeah, like totally. This is really mm -hmm. powerful stuff. Yeah, you know, like the whole law of attraction stuff. You know, I, I was so surprised to find that in the teaching of Jesus. Right. Ask and it will be given to you. Knock and the door oh will yeah. be open. It's just different s subtle language changes. But you go through all the different books, which, again, I haven't. But yeah. um, f the congruencies that I've seen with what I have read, I'm like, oh, my God, it's like they're the same book. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I mean, I'm, I need to become more of like a religious scholar to really be able to say that. But for the little bit that I've gathered, yeah. that's what I see. Well, I see that's consistencies. Idea. You know, if, if God is one and if God is the truth under all things, then of course he's saying the same thing, you know, and he's going to speak whatever language is going to work for whatever people are there. Yeah. I just think Jesus is very poorly represented or misrepresented. Yeah. You know, and it becomes like a power struggle and it becomes like, okay, we all of a sudden we have the phone line to God. Like it's right here. It's in this room. Like this mm -hmm. is the access point. Mm -hmm. Now all of a sudden it gives this, this yeah. human power struggle thing that just kind of like blurs the whole thing. Mm, and I feel like that. Like, oh, well, that but that's a metaphor for everything yeah. else we were talking and about. That, and then, and that's, and, and, that, and that's the thing. Then that, that very thing that you're describing is kind of why I was like, no, no, I'm not one of your people. Yeah. That's, you know, that's and the front running. That's what you get. Yeah. And, and that's why I, f I still feel a, a sense of, of discomfort to identify as conventional Christian, you know, because I feel like it's, it's begins, it's come to be a, um, a political party, yeah. you know, a social a social identification which i don't feel a part of yeah you know so you know maybe maybe there needs to be a rebirth of the teaching of jesus you know i recently asked for god to come into my heart yeah <laughs> did he come ah, i think <laughs> it's you know i think it's it's one of those those things where it's like um it's like an ebb and flow or like, and it's like, it's like, like finding nirvana or whatever. I don't think it's something that's, mm -hmm. you know, I think that's what it is. I think again, it's like different language. Mm -hmm. My dad's really good about this though. He's like always, he's super into Jesus. Mm -hmm. He's all about it. And he's just like, he's like a Buddha. He's like a modern day Siddhartha guy. He mm -hmm. went and he was smoking crack and like prostitution, mm -hmm. like on the very end of his life, mm -hmm. went to prison, did the whole thing. And now mm -hmm. he's like one of the happiest people you ever meet. Yeah. It's very interesting. Yeah. So anyways. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, feel, I, I have a friend of mine who also <laughs> sort of asked God to come into his heart and, and, and didn't really get a solid response. Yeah, I didn't know? get a solid response, I would yeah. say. I think I need to disarm a little bit more, probably. Well, you know, I, the, the promise is asking as it is given to you, but the time frame is not always guaranteed. Mm. You know, it's not always on our time. Right. I mean, I definitely yep. asked for a guru. I was on, you know, on my knees and asking for help. And, and um, it, it was it, it came out of left field for me out of nowhere. Right. Years after I'd asked. Cool. Yeah. All right. Thanks so much. You're welcome. <laughs> Appreciate it. Welcome. Um, there was other stuff I wanted to talk to you about, but maybe at some point. My speaking, my daddy's going to get a place in Florida, I think. So maybe oh. I'll, I'll come up awesome. frequent the Florida territory. Sure. How do people learn? more what what are you what's 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 it's like are there like online programs yeah like yeah gosh stuff? i'm a, I, so if you want to practice with me you can practice on my online channel called ohm stars which is o-m-s-t-a-r-s.com and i have uh, i've curated all the classes that are on there as well as have a lot of my own classes or over a thousand classes mm -hmm. with um you know with, with me and with our with our highly curated team of teachers and i also travel the world and teach so i'm often in different cities teaching and all that stuff's on my website i also have written four books i'm working on my fifth book and so all that's all my books are on amazon you can just put kino mcgregor on amazon and or any other independent bookseller that you like to frequent and that'll come up cool any final words 
I just want everyone to practice. You know, I feel yeah. like practice is the is the great equalizer. So I feel like uh, you know, practice is the thing that 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 rips your heart open and lays you bare. And practice is the thing that you know, if you're acting outside of love, if you and uh, if you're acting outside of your own integrity, practice is the thing that keeps you on the path. So I just want everybody to practice. It doesn't have to be super athletic handstands every day. It can just be five minutes a day of very simple, basic yoga. And I think this has the power to change the world. Mm. Consistency seems to be important. Yeah, like brushing your teeth, huh? So yeah. imagine if you only brushed your teeth randomly. Would that be very effective? Yeah, right. Not so much. Unless you're flossing. If you if you floss but don't <laughs> brush, I don't I don't I don't know if there's any dentist <laughs> listening, See, but I'm sure of, lots of lettuce. I I also think that lettuce could create cavities if it was left really? stuck on your teeth. Oh, all right. Yeah, it's a carbohydrate that would. Yeah, you know, but you think of it as a carbohydrate, right? That would that, that would turn into a sugar eventually, and probably turn into plaque and all kinds. So, if you want to brush the teeth twice a day. All right, brush the teeth twice a day. And yoga, you only have to yeah. do once a day. Perfect. No big deal. So that's something that I would recommend. Um, is before one because I'm. My background isn't yoga per se, but I'm quite enamored with it right now. Um, and before anyone gets any type of like uh, determines an opinion of, of their thoughts on, on the thing, I would consistently have a practice for like, I don't know, three months. Yeah. And then have your opinion. Good point. And then move on from it and say, never do it again. That's fine. But like consistently do that because you're not going to really get the effects. Very true. You know. By doing, doing like a week. No, I know. agree. So three months is good. I think three months. Minimum. That feels fair. Gurdjie, my teacher said <laughs> said um, said the minimum amount of time before you experience life changes was like six months to a year. No, oh, all right. But well, three months to get a so taster. Six months to a year for life changes. Three months to get a taster. Yeah, that's, I like that. That's the recipe. All right. Recording over. <laughs> Align Podcast. Thank you guys so much for tuning into that conversation. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. There's some ways that you can support this podcast, one of which you can pick up an Align Band, which is a heavy-duty resistance band. comes along with a door anchor and a carrying case and a video guide on how to mobilize those joints and integrate that body of yours. Really great stuff. You can be found at AlignTherapy.com and also on Amazon.com. Um, Thank you also so much for utilizing the Amazon affiliate link on the right-hand sidebar of the podcast page. Bookmark that thing. Anytime you purchase some crap on Amazon, purchase that crap. Through that link, we get a percentage of it. costs you nothing. And I think that's enough. Thank you guys so much for reviews on iTunes. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting. Have a beautiful rest of your day. Pow.